Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. It's Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. All right, let me introduce to you our guest speaker for today. Uh, This is Mr. Mike Mann, and he's a great friend. And uh, he's an awesome guy, and uh, he is on staff at one of our sister churches, uh, Good News Church, that meets on 26th Street. So we're privileged, uh, Mike, to have you lead us in the, in the Word today, and uh, let me pray for, pray for you. God, we thank you so much that Mike can be with us. We pray you speak through him, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would anoint him, Lord, and help him to, um, all his preparation for it is just to come through really well, and for him to be able to speak into our hearts what you want us to hear this morning. So may we have soft hearts and receptive hearts um, that are obedient to you and to your will. Uh, bless Mike and give him courage and boldness as he speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. All right. Thank you for inviting me. This is a, it's an honor. It's a privilege. Um, so I'm the pastoral intern at Good News Church. I've been going there for about 15 years and been there and done a lot of different things. Uh, I know a couple of faces here, but um, this is still very new to me, preaching. And if, you, if my voice is shaky, just forgive me, okay? It's, I'm just not used to it yet. Um, but as Evan read from our passage from uh, the book of Mark, if I can title this section, I would title as the Christian life. It sounds very generic, but Jesus, uh, he gives us an example of what it means to live a Christian life and what does it mean to be a Christian. So before we begin, let me just pray and uh, just let us all see God's his wisdom and his heart and his spirit. Lord, we thank you for gathering us this morning. Lord, we thank you that uh, the church was so kind to invite me to speak your word this morning. We pray that your spirit would impact us. Your spirit would convict us. Your spirit would allow us to know and experience the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that as this church, uh, this collaboration of two churches, as you move forward in a missional heart, Lord, would they be led and guided by you. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, so Pastor Ben, he asked me to preach like three weeks ago. And I've been preparing for like three weeks. And honestly, this is probably one of my worst preparations. It's just because there's just so much uh, that I want to say. And every time I I work on it, there's just something new. And so it might be an amalgamation of different things. But as I said, this passage is about the Christian life. And Jesus shows us what it means to live this Christian life. So I want to give a little context uh, about this passage. So we see that Jesus rises very early in the morning and he prays. And then we see the Simon and his disciples come looking for him. But then Jesus, he says, let us go somewhere else, for this is why I've come, to preach. And before this, we see in, uh, how am I doing on time, by the way? We're 
Right, right. All right. Um, okay. Great. <clears throat> so before this, you know, Jesus comes on earth and he is baptized by John. And he calls his disciples. And he does many uh, ministries. He's, he's preaching in synagogues. He is uh, healing. He is casting out demons. And we see in verse 27, people are saying, who is this man? They're saying, this is a new teaching. We've never heard something like this before. And it is with authority. He even commands the unclean spirits. As Pastor Ben continues in this series through Mark, what you'll experience is a distinct contrast between the way that the evil spirits respond and the way that his disciples respond. The evil spirits, uh, they recognize Jesus. And when Jesus commands them to, to get out of this person, they have no choice but to obey. And yet, what you're going to realize and what you're going to see is that the disciples, they're, they're a little reluctant. Uh, they're a little, their eyes are a little closed. Their hearts are a little closed to, to the workings of Jesus Christ. And so later in chapter 4, Jesus calms the storms. And by this time, the disciples have been walking with Jesus for, for a while. And yet he, they say, who is this man? He can calm the storms. And then later in chapter 8, Jesus warns about the yeast of the Pharisees to the disciples. Because they're talking about who's going to be number one? Who's going to be the greatest of all the disciples? And Jesus warns them. And he says to them, do you still not yet see? Are your hearts blind? Are your, do you see but not understand? And so we see a distinct uh, difference between the responses of the evil spirits and the disciples. So one of the things that as a Christian life we require is a spiritual eye. The need to see with our spiritual eyes, not with our physical eyes. You know, because as Jesus preaches and he casts out demons, those who see only physically, uh, and we see from one of the examples of when Jesus heals 10 lepers and only one returns to glorify Jesus, glorify God, and it's a Samaritan, right? We see only one out of 10, he sees with the spiritual eye. And so one of the things in a Christian life we require is to see with a spiritual eye. And the next thing that we see is Jesus rises very early in the morning to go into a desolate place, to go into a lonely place. Uh, it's a little different than when Jesus was, after he was baptized and the, the spirit cast him out or leads him out into a des desolate place um, and where Jesus walks for 40 days and 40 nights being tempted. Right? This is more of, he goes to a lonely place outside the city. They're in Galilee, and he's been preaching. But he goes out, he goes where somewhere it's quiet. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to steal quite a bit from Charles Spurgeon. Um, he is a mid-19th century uh, pastor from Britain. And if you ever get a chance to read his uh, sermons online, they're powerful. It's full of the Spirit. Even just 
reading the transcript, it is full of power. And so what Spurgeon says about this act of Jesus going out to pray, it's, we might question it. So why does Jesus need to pray? You know, he's the son of God. He's already with God. So why does he need to pray? But that shows us that intimate relationship in the Trinity between Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. He desires to be with God. He desires for his will, for his, his goal, and for his time on earth to be, to be united with God. And so Spurgeon points out four things uh, in terms of Jesus' purpose for praying. The first one is that our prayers should not be kept to just the Sabbath. You know, it's, it was great for me to be here and to experience everybody worshiping together, to singing songs in one voice, to praying as a body of unit. And when when we encounter Jesus in verse 35, this is after uh, an amazing day of ministry, an amazing day of preaching and healing and casting out demons. And yet the day after the Sabbath, what is the first thing that Jesus does? He goes out and it says very early in the morning, very early before it's dark or while it's still dark. And these days it's still dark around I don't know, 6 a.m. It's still kind of dark. So just imagine uh, having done so much ministry, and yet before everybody is awake, he rises and he goes away. And so what is this for us? It, it's where are we in our Christian life? To seek God early in the morning. I'll confess I'm not that disciplined either. Um, and... I wonder if we've lost that discipline in our today's generation. I see my parents, uh, and they've been going to early morning prayer at like five in the morning for, I don't know, at least the last couple of decades. And they encourage me to come with them every once in a while. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> it's, it's five in the morning, 5.30, you know? But, there's that discipline. There's that yearning. There's that, it's, it's a need to seek God for the day's necessities, right? For them to, to persevere through that day, to endure through that day. And it's great that we can come on a Sunday to pray together. But what about Monday to Saturday? Right. We all have all of our duties, and at least on a Sunday, we're in fellowship, and we can be encouraged by one another. We can uh, sharpen one another, but Monday through f Saturday, we might not have that opportunity. But what, the opportunity that we do have is to be in the presence of the Lord each and every morning, each and every day. The second thing that Charles Spurgeon says about this time of prayer is to pray in secret. I remember when uh, Pastor Ben and I were in Turkey and Greece, uh, Pastor John, he spoke a lot about doing things in secret, how God sees when we do things in secret. Um, 
And even Jesus, uh, he emphasizes the things that are done in secret. He tells us when you pray, go into your closet and to pray in the secret. And when he gives a parable about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector who pray, the Pharisee prays out loud for everyone to hear that he is this noble person, that he is this righteous person. Meanwhile, the tax collector, he's beating his chest, knowing that he is unworthy. And so he prays a humble prayer. And so God sees that. He, God sees our humble and secret prayers, and he honors those. The third thing about praying early in the morning is this time of intimacy. There's no one around. It's just you and God. Do we spend time, do we take time to be intimate? We sing songs about being sons and daughters of God. Do we go to him in prayer and say, God, I am your son, I am your daughter, and thank you that I have this time to come before you and to seek you out, to be filled with your love for today. There's a, I think we see Jesus in his most vulnerable state in prayer. And none more vulnerable than when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he is tried and crucified on the cross. And Jesus prays, if it's possible to take this cup away from me, and yet, because he's been so intimate with God every day of his ministry, he can still pray, yet not my will, but your will be done. He is so intimate with God that he doesn't allow his own desires to overcome, to overshadow the will of the Father, the divine plan that through Jesus Christ would come the salvation for all men. And of course, we can say, well, that's Jesus, right? He is the Son of God. He is divine. Of course, he would desire God all the time. But we also encounter examples from David in the Psalms who seek God daily, too. You know, especially when he's being chased by Saul, when he's being chased by his son Absalom. He still prays to God. One thing that uh, Charles Spurgeon doesn't mention, though, in about prayer is power. Of course, Jesus is the Son of God, so he possesses the power as God the Son. But we are just mere flesh, fleshly human beings. And of course, we are infused with the power of the Holy Spirit, but we, we're still fleshly. And so we require that time with God to seek God's power, to know that his power does exist in our daily lives. And so, Pastor Ben, he mentioned that the church, you guys are in this period of uh, missional, a vision of mission, the two churches carrying out God's mission together. 
And so another part of living this Christian life that we see in this passage comes from verse 37, where Simon and the disciples come looking for Jesus. And they say, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And yet, Jesus in his mysteriousness, he responds to them, let us go to the next towns. Uh, And I believe that by this time, when Jesus called the disciples, Jesus told them, let down your nets and come follow me because I will make you fishers of men. And I'm sure that's been in their minds. And they're seeing, and what we see in uh, verse 32, it says, at evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed. So everybody in the town of Galilee are flocking to this house for God's preaching, for God's, for Jesus's power to see his miracles. And even the, the morning, the next day, there's everybody flocking to the house. And what does Jesus say? He says, let us go to the next town. So what does this teach us? He teaches us when we have our eyes on the spiritual things of God, we're not drawn to the things of man. And we also see that the the eyes of the disciples were quite small. They were so excited. They were so ecstatic about what was going on in Galilee. They just kind of forgot, oh, there's the rest of Judea. There's the rest of Samaria. There's the rest of Syria who need to hear the word of God. But Jesus, because he had communed with God early in the morning, he's not distracted. He understands that the the plan of God must go on. He must pursue the preaching of the word, preaching of God to all of these areas. And so when we have a spiritual eye, we don't lose focus on the things of God, on the mind of God. And so there are countless stories of people of faith uh, or non-believers who I guess follow the word of God. Right. Uh, one story that I want to share is story Mel Gibson. He is a he is of a Catholic background, um, and we know that he is a very popular actor and director and producer of movies. Right, and he's made you know great films like The Passion of Christ. But he's also, and I believe when we lose our focus on the things of God. It's so easy to be overwhelmed by the accolades of man that you begin to think that you're above, uh, that you're above all things, that you're above the laws of God. And we know what happened, right? He, he pushed his popularity a little too far. Uh, and he kind of fell from grace of Hollywood and just people in general. And it took over 10 years for him to really be able to come back Uh, and to be able to continue the gift that God has given to him, which is to produce uh, meaningful films. And so that is the danger of 
not having the spiritual eye, but only seeing what is going on around you and thinking that this is, this is everything. So instead, Jesus says, let us go. Let us go to another town. And it's kind of, uh, so what we see here in the life of the disciples, this is very early on, right? The disciples, are, have, they've just been called by Jesus to say, come follow me. And so they're following him. They see all these things. They see Jesus uh, preaching in the synagogues, and people are amazed, not just by the preaching, but also the casting out demons, the healing, and all of this. So I would say they're kind of like the infant Christian, right? They're in this, uh, if you ever go to like a zoo with little children, you know, they're just like distracted by all the animals, right? And you just kind of have to rein them back in. But the kids are like, the polar bears are over there. I need to go over there. But Jesus, Jesus says, no, no, come back. Come back. And this is kind of what the disciples are. The disciples say, Jesus, everybody's here. You need to come right now. But Jesus says, no, no. We need to go on. We need to move on. And, we, and so we see kind of Jesus' kindness in his uh, response to the disciples, unlike later on when Jesus is a little more straightforward with them. Here he says, let us go. We must go on, for this is why I've come, to preach. Jesus' motivation is clear. And what is that motivation? The motivation is to preach. And what does Jesus preach? What has he come to earth to preach? And we see that in verse 15. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so the disciples have responded to that call. They're still learning, but they responded to this call. And we have also responded to this call as well. Some of us may be uh, new Christians, just like the disciples here. Some of us may have been Christians for decades, like myself. I've been, I was born into a Christian family, uh, done the Christian things, and yet I wouldn't say, I would say that I became a follower of Christ when I turned 30, even though I've been a Christian for all this time. And so there's a difference between just doing the rituals, doing the Sunday thing, and then being this active follower of Christ. And so like the blind men who find sight from Jesus, they follow Jesus. They're excited. They're ecstatic. They follow behind him. They proclaim Jesus and all the amazing things that he is doing. And Jesus, he calls the lost sheep to return to the fold, to repent and to believe. The word repent, it seems a little harsh, right? Uh, I think when we hear the word repent, we kind of, we immediately go to the, the people in the subways who kind of preach the 
brimstone and hellfire and all those things. But repent, it actually means to turn around, turn away from the things that you're doing and seek the things of God. It's the, it's the parable of the prodigal son. Recognizing that what we're doing is against the will of God, against the desires of God, we turn around and we return and to believe in Jesus Christ. That is to trust him. Whenever we're walking away from God, we're actively choosing to not trust God, rather to trust in ourselves. So when we return to God, that is actively saying, God, I choose to trust in you. I would rather trust in you than in my own self because I know I can't accomplish everything by myself. And so we proclaim the works of God. The, uh, the greeting question, I found that pretty interesting. The question was, uh, which foreign country would you like to visit and why? I want to kind of turn it around and ask you, which nation do you belong to? What's your uh, national background? Right? A lot of, I'm Korean, born in Korea, but I guess I'm Korean-American. Uh, a lot of you are Chinese. Uh, a lot of you might have other different backgrounds. But when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, this and when we receive and accept this call, our nationality automatically turns into the citizens of heaven, right? When we consider ourselves sons and daughters of God, that means we're citizens of heaven. Of course, on earth we reside in our respective countries, but ultimately, for eternity, we are the citizens of heaven. And when we are the citizens of heaven, we have a new law to abide to. We have a different set of laws to abide to. And that is the laws of God. And we want to glorify God by abiding in them and to live according to them. And so we're called to a higher standard, one that loves God, one that desires to glorify God. In John chapter 17, when Jesus has accomplished everything that he could, right before his death, he says, glorify your son that I may glorify you. We are in that position. We are in that position to say, God, may I glorify you by my life. As I make my life a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to you, may I glorify you. And so when our nationality, our eternal nationality, is no longer American or Korean or Chinese, but the kingdom of God, we are this royal priesthood. And we stand between ourselves, among ourselves, and between the world to proclaim the goodness of God. Martin Luther and his Reformation movement he emphasized this, us of being of holy nation, as it says in 1 Peter. And so he, through this movement, they freed the lay people, those who were not considered priests back then, from a, a slumbering, passive receiving of sacraments. That is, whether it's the word or communion and the forgiveness of sins, 
it freed us to be, to have, to, and to exercise that active authority through the Holy Spirit. And then there's John Calvin after, after Luther. He's a 16th century theologian, pastor, and he says, all believers should seek to bring others into the church and should strive to lead the wanderers back to the road, should stretch forth a hand to the fallen and should win over the outsiders. This is the Christian life. And we are to live in fellowship with Christ in a world that is not in fellowship with him. And so we live in this daily life of conflict. We are in this world, but not of this world. And to live according to God's ways, it's to reject the attention of the world, but only to seek the attention of God. And so in such a simple command as, let us go, Jesus strips away our fleshly desire for worldly attention, and he points to the matters of God so that we can preach there also, wherever there might be. It could be your workplace, your neighborhood, your friends, your coworkers. And so we're not merely believers of doctrines and rituals, but we, we believe in a living God and abide in the living Son. And we live according to the living Holy Spirit. And so we live in this reality of the already, that is the kingdom of God lives in us through the church, but not yet because it, it is not here yet. And Satan would do everything in his power to distract us, to make us walk astray. If it wasn't for Jesus, I'm sure the disciples would have easily stayed in that place and never gone out to the rest of the world. He tempts us with riches, glory, and fame. But the Lord draws us to himself by drawing us away from the crowd. He wants and desires all of our attention. And so the Lord teaches us to draw near to the Father when we go to the lonely and secret place before anyone else is awake. And it is there that he, com he fills us with his comfort and he reminds us of his love and his grace and fills us and he sustains us with the power to do it each and every day, to live for Christ. I believe you guys have a, a time of prayer in this moment. And so a lot of us might think to ourselves, well, I'm no preacher. You know, I have no theological education to go out there and preach. Well, that's why we have Christ. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why he opens our eyes, the, the eyes of our hearts, to be sensitive, to see with a spiritual eye, to say, this is what I've done in your life. Now go preach that. Preach how I've been good to you and how I am good to everybody in this world.
We might say, well, I'm, I'm shy. I'm an introvert. I can't speak like that. Well, I'm an introvert. <laughs> Took me three weeks to prepare this. <laughs> but our entire life, for the rest of our lives, we're, we are God's disciples. And he, every step of faith we take to exercise the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us a new arsenal, new experience, new teachings from this word. Every sermon that we hear is a new arsenal. Not to berate others, but to win them over. Our goal is to win the hearts of people for Christ. And so let us do that. And so as we have this time of prayer, we exercise two things. One, those who are seeking prayer, they seek God's power to heal them, whether it is physically or of their heart or of their mind. And the other is those who are praying, we are exercising God's power, that we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will be on you, that he would heal you physically, in your mind, in your heart. And so let us enter this time of prayer, knowing that it is not of us, but it is the power of God that works in us and through us.